Thanks for listening, Unplugged Army. I'm Louis Unga, General Manager at Whirlwind Golf Club at Wild Horse Pass. We're proud to present Doug Franz Unplugged. Four minute offense. Four minute offense. Four minutes. Four minute offense. Four minute offense. Everything you need to know in sports that affects Maricopa County, the state of Arizona, and the world you get in four minutes. We start things off in downtown Seattle. The woes of the second half happen again. They lose the second half six to nothing. They lose the game 20 to 10. Joshua Dobbs average 19 to 33 for 146 yards. No touchdown passes, but no picks. He did rush for a 25 yard touchdown. DJ Humphreys on the play before got ejected for contacting an official and the Cardinals ran a ridiculous fake punt in the fourth quarter. Uh, Jonathan Gannon, are you going to recant on that bad play call? Yeah, just a call I made and, you know, credit to them. They made the play and uh, you got to live with those decisions. But I like the call and uh, ultimately that's on me. We didn't get it done. Good. Because nobody else liked the call. Here's an interesting stat. The average NFL team right now in the NFL scores one touchdown per fourth quarter. The Cardinals score one point per fourth quarter. Yeesh. They take on the Baltimore uh, Ravens coming up Sunday at home. Kickoff 125. Despite forcing four turnovers, ASU loses to UW 15-7. Washington did not score an offensive touchdown. Their only TD was an 89-yard fourth quarter pick six thrown by Trent Borgay that gave Washington the lead. Yeesh. And it gets worse. They started going for it on fourth down because they didn't have enough linemen to block for field goals. There's big bodies at ASU who just go there that want to play field goal for us. If you weigh 330 pounds, and I mean it, like reach out to our team, 320 pounds, reach out to our team, because we need big bodies to put in there on field goal. Time for Jeff Weir production to gain some weight. Let's go, Jeff, get that scholarship. ASU takes on the other Washington school at home as the Cougars come to town Saturday, kick off five o'clock. D-backs, dramatic come from behind win on Friday. Then Saturday, another weak performance from Zach Allen. They lose six to one. Now they take on game six in Philadelphia today. Manager Tori Lavello, what do you think about the pitching staff of the Phillies? The Philly pitchers, uh, especially their one, two, and then back their one, um, have been really, really effective against us. First pitch today coming up this afternoon, 2.07. Oh my gosh, major drama in the rising game. They're up 3-2 against San Diego. Mohamed Treor with a terrible tackle in the corner of the box. That PK allows San Diego to tie it 3-3. And then in the final minute of extra time, the 119th minute, Darius Formella scores the second goal of the game, and the San Diego Loyal are now gone. And I mean the whole franchise is gone. Rising advance, they take on Orange County coming up Saturday at 7 o'clock. Hey, they're in third place. Clayton Keller scored his third goal of the season. They beat Anaheim. And head coach Andre Turini is happy despite the injuries. With a few guys going down, I, th- I really love the way that our guys reacted. They really push through and find a way to win. I think it was a, it was a huge win for us. Now up next, they play uh, tomorrow night. The Mercury introduced Nate Tibbetts, their new head coach. He comes from Orlando. It means a lot. It means a lot. 
I, I, I've had a couple great conversations with Diana. Um, you know, I'm going to rely on her a lot. She's got it. And finally, if you can skip over baseball, which there's no way to get that to you, I butchered four-minute offense today. Rangers get revenge in game six. They now advance to game seven. Adolis Garcia struck out four times and had a grand slam. And finally, don't worry about any joke. Today is National Slap Your Annoying Coworker. Yeah, it's really National Slap Your Annoying Coworker Day. Jackpot Unplugged Army. I feel like a true commander-in-chief to be able to give you such an unprecedented savings. Go to Unplugged at Whirlwind.com and check out the new membership club from Whirlwind Golf Club at Wild Horse Pass. Whirlwind Plus. Here's what you get. You sign up for a tee time anytime between now and five days from now, and you can save anywhere from a minimum of 30% up to 60% off plus 15% off at Civlik, the restaurant, and another 15% off in the pro shop. I'm telling you, you walk into the pro shop, get bowls, a shirt, and a hat. You walk over for happy hour with your wife. You might pay for your monthly membership right then and there. It's $34 a month, cancel anytime. Or if you want to save even more, because that equals out to a little more than $400, you can get it for only $299 a year. Whirlwind Plus at Whirlwind Golf Club at Wild Horse Pass. Go to unpluggedatwhirlwind.com and feel the wind. I'm Janelle, General Manager of Bell's Nashville Kitchen, a.k.a. the Whiskey Wizard. Bell's isn't your typical country bar with mediocre bar food. We are a scratch kitchen with chef-inspired dishes in the only place you can get the best sandwich in all of Arizona, our Nashville hot chicken sandwich. Now, the drinks. I spend days infusing our own whiskey creations. Come in for Whiskey Wednesdays to learn about and drink our famous whiskey selection. We have live music most days and all weekend as part of our honky-tonk brunch. Bell's Nashville Kitchen on Main Street in Old Town Scottsdale. You found home, down home. I've now officially decided I'm blaming Jeff Weir Production for the four-minute offense because he always starts this portion of the show by saying, all right, let's rock and roll. But he started the four-minute offense by saying, let's rock and roll. And then I rocked and rolled too early. And just as my wife knows, that that happens way too often. There you go. (laughs) I probably should have said that. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Whenever it is that you decided to make Doug Franz unplugged a part of your day, my family greatly appreciates it. My name is Doug Franz, and you have found the only podcast. Wait a minute, is that how it starts? Yeah, you have found the only podcast in, I don't remember. Oh my gosh, is it really Monday? You have found the only podcast in the world totally devoted to the coverage of the four major sports franchises of one great American city that drops on your phone every weekday morning. We also cover ASU, U of HCU, Rollins Rising Merck. This is Doug Franz Unplugged, presented by Whirlwood Golf Club at Wild Horse Pass. Is it really going to go like this this week? Oh my gosh. By the way, I'm trying to uh, impress a potential advertiser who's really paying attention today. And what did I do? Just totally butchered the four-minute offense and then the intro. Oh, wow. Well, sorry, McKenna. Come home from college. Hope everything's going all right. You can pay for it yourself. Join the nine-year plan. Oh, my goodness. That was rough. Rough. And I, I, I made the terrible mistake today. I drove into work thinking that this was only a one Mountain Dew day. 
which is never true on Mondays. I got to bed at about 1.30 last night and then got up. I slept in today. I slept in until 4.15. So I was I woke up, had my Mountain Dew, and then was thinking things – like I just know things aren't firing. There's just a way that I know whether or not things are firing up in the head, and I knew things aren't firing. It's a two-Mountain Dew day. And then on my drive, I thought, you know what? I'm okay with just one. I'm okay. So I didn't pull over at the gas station and get a second Mountain Dew. And then after the judgment of the four-minute offense and the intro right there, it's almost like I went for a fake punt on fourth down with five minutes to go on fourth and nine and ran a five-yard out. Watch out. I don't know. Listen, we got all day to talk about this. But Jonathan Gannon, I realize you're from Cleveland, and there's not a lot of smart people from Cleveland. I get that. Okay, it's not your fault. All right, but let me just explain something to you. Fourth and nine means you got to go nine yards. You don't run a fake punt and run a five yard out. <laughs> just, just an opinion. Just call me crazy. Because what happens a lot when you don't get the first down on fourth down, you got to give the other team the ball. I'm here for you, dude. I, I know the game can get really convoluted sometimes. But whenever you need help. Hey, Doug, what should we do here? I, I won't tell you what to do. I'll just tell you what not to do. Okay? Don't have your receiver run five yards and turn around on fourth and nine. I'm here. Listen, truth is a lot of people go, why do they run? Listen, I get why you run pass pass. Some pass patterns are short because they're trying to take away the long ones on a regular play. Okay, on a normal play, sometimes you've got to check the ball down and hope your dude makes a play. Sometimes they got you. All right, I, I get that. I totally get that. But please explain to me on a fourth and nine fake punt. Your that was the first read. Usually on a check down, it's the last read. That was the first read. Was a five yard out. Oh my gosh! I mean. There is stupid, and there is wow. Jonathan Gannon is still the guy. You can make dumb mistakes sometimes, and you'll get over it. I've done dumb things in my job. I'm pretty, still pretty decent at the job. I'm sure you've done things that your job that you consider pretty dumb, and I trust you as a member of the Unplugged Army that you're good at your job. We all do it. But, JG, just admit it. After you do it, just admit it, please. Okay, I feel better. Um... Boy, my weekend. Uh, Saturday and Sunday, all work, all day. I never did anything except work on uh, on Saturday and Sunday. Never got up from the chair. Take uh, gobs of notes here. Watched uh, tons of games. So did a lot of work uh, over the weekend. But Friday night was all family going to that D-backs game. Oh, my gosh. Game four, Alec Thomas putting one in the pool Gabby Marino with the go-ahead run, Paul Seawald with the close and the final strikeout and being able to cheer, uh, having people upset that my wife wouldn't sit down. That was awesome because, hey, this is the Diamondbacks game. I, I was yelled. I, I usually don't use this kind of language on the podcast, so I just want to warn you if you've got kids in the car. But this, this has never happened to me before in my life. My two kids are sitting between Jennifer and me. And I am one that I, you've heard me yell and scream for years, stand up, get excited, let's go, and trying to implore the crowd. Well, I was sitting down at one point 
in the game. Jennifer had been standing up for a little while. Nobody yelled at her, but you could tell people were getting frustrated behind her. And uh, and she turns and looks at me like I'm an unchivalric husband. And she goes, you brought me here. Get your ass up. Wow. Okay. And I stood up. And then suddenly, once I stood up, the girls stood up. And then when the four of us are standing up, we were sitting in the front row of the upper deck. So once we... Those are great seats, by the way. Oh, my gosh. I had no idea how cool those seats were. And once once we stood up, then other people started standing up around us. So it was like it was weird. I don't know if there's some socioeconomic thing going on. Two sections over, everybody was standing up. I was, in a sense, right in line with the on-deck circle of the Diamondbacks. So once you get around upper deck, around by where the dugout would start, everybody was standing. But our section, nobody ever stood except us, unless we stood and then somebody would stand up behind us in order to see. But that was kind of, uh, that was the entertainment of my night, of, of my wife yelling and screaming at me. Uh, after only two Miller Lights, I, I don't know what happened there. She was... She was pretty happy though, just all over me, wanting me to uh, to make more noise after I. But I was like, I was more in press box mode. I was focused until good things happen, and then I kind of lost my mind. Man, I had a great time. And plus, it's so cool to have those memories with your kids. I, full disclosure: we pulled money out of savings to do it. Um, it was an expensive, a very expensive night. Uh, I don't want to deny that, and and hopefully those of you that aren't in that position in life can live vicariously through me and how much fun it was. And for those of you that can't afford it and chose not to, hey, if they get to the World Series or the next time they get to the playoffs, try to figure out a way to get that in the budget. It is a lifetime memory, and, and to uh, see the joy with my girls and the fun, it was just great. It was so such a special night to to go to that game. All right, sound credits today. Uh, we took the AS, uh, the CKD sound. That's that's a cool code for Kenny Dillingham uh, from Devil's Digest. Suns PR and Coyotes PR uh, sent us a bunch of stuff, and uh, I I didn't need a lot of it, but I was really interested in one thing that Frank Vogel said. So I've got that uh, MLB PR sent us uh, a lot of Tori Lavello. Got a lot to break down, break down, break down for Game Six today. And uh, we took uh, azcardinals.com sound from Jonathan Gannon. But for some reason, the website did not put, at least as of as of about 4 this, 4.15 this morning, uh, they did not put up Joshua Dobbs, the quarterback, which I thought was very interesting that you didn't put up your own quarterback. Sometimes on road games, they don't get as much stuff up. I get it. But that was, that was a little weird. Uh, I think that's it. Jeff, for your production, anything thrilling in your weekend or in your life? Uh, <laughs> Saturday wasn't a good day in the. Uh, the uh, you told household. me don't bring up Alabama, Tennessee. I didn't bring it up. Oh, and you just did. Well, you said Saturday was a bad day, so well, I knew why it was a bad day. Yeah. Um, but congratulations if you didn't see the game unplugged army. Tennessee did their Cardinals imitation of the second half. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cardinals lost the second half six nothing. At least they played defense. Tennessee lost the second half twenty seven to nothing. It was bad. That's hard to do, actually. Mm-hmm. Wow. Are you still a Tennessee fan after this? Absolutely. Okay. I'm I didn't go anywhere. Well, I didn't know. I mean, I didn't know if you care about the sanity of your daughter and you want to you know, raise her in a happy home. I'm not a bandwagon fan. I didn't know if you wanted to raise her in a happy home. You'll never be happy as a Tennessee fan. You know that. <laughs> 
until until Nick Saban retires, then maybe happiness will return to your family. <laughs> All right. If anybody wants to like actually work today, and, and hopefully I won't butcher the rest of the show, let's roll. Doug's big one. I want to say it today. What is today? October 23rd? October 23rd. I want to be on the record to say it today so you can stare me down, mock me forever if I get proven wrong. After some embarrassing situations over the weekend, the right men are in the right position as the head coach of Arizona State and the head coach of the Arizona Cardinals. I totally believe that. And I want to stand now when it's at almost its worst level so you hear it from me now. This is the craziest stat of the weekend, I think. All right, you ready? UW and the Seahawks. Both teams from Seattle taking on the two teams from Maricopa County. The turnover ratio was 7-1 to one this weekend. UW and the Seahawks turned the ball over seven times. ASU and the Cardinals only turned the ball over one time. Despite picking up seven turnovers, four from the Huskies and three from the Seahawks, the Cardinals and ASU each scored one touchdown. (laughs) That's it. And on the one turnover that the two teams had, ASU and the Cardinals, Trent Borgay threw an 89-yard pick six. Oh, my gosh. It was the only touchdown of the game for Washington. The Huskies' number five team in the country, potential Heisman Trophy winning quarterback, scored zero offensive touchdowns. It is so easy to bail on these two teams. It would be so easy. Listen, that fake punt by Jonathan Gannon was was arguably the dumbest move of the weekend. It was crazy stupid. Okay, and stupid sounds like a word that you want to use to get personal. I am in no way personally attacking Jonathan Gannon, but that was really a dumb play call. I mean, every the reason why it's dumb, not because it didn't work, is because every aspect of that play is dumb. But I'll get into that when we talk Cardinals. It was just flabbergasting how stupid that was. It was really sad how much of a struggle it was for ASU to do anything in the red zone. But here's the thing. Look at how well prepared each team is going into the game until the talent takes over. The ASU and the Cardinals are continually in these games, okay? 29 to nothing, Fresno State beat down from AS for ASU. Other than that game, I think ASU right now is one and, and six, I believe. I don't remember for sure. I think they're one and six, okay? At one and six, um, I would say wait for them, Jeff. I don't mind if you interrupt me. It's all right, Jeff. Okay. Uh, Jeff, Weird Production just sent me a nice text. I- I'm hoping to bother Cam Cox. The catch is I didn't tell him I was going to. But Cam Cox is live in Philly, and he was doing – he was live last night at 1.30 uh, Eastern time in the morning. I don't care how much you pay me. I ain't going live with equipment in downtown Philadelphia at 1.30 in the morning. No way. Okay? No way. I mean, I'm a dad. All right? I want to come home safely. No chance of that. And yet there's Cam out there. Hey, it's 1.30. I got a winter coat on. I got a big camera here. I got a tripod. I got an open truck. This is awesome. Did you say send it? Yeah, go ahead. Okay. 
but I haven't even told him to look, so it doesn't matter. Uh, but go ahead, yeah. Uh, so I was just laughing at Cam Cock going live at one thirty in the morning in a crime haven. Yeah, anyway, I want to establish now, because if they fall on their face, I want to make sure I go down with them. Kenny Dillingham with – I cannot stress to you the level that Dr. Crow, Ray Anderson, and Herm Edwards have destroyed that program. Literally destroyed it. There is zero talent, in my opinion, in so many different position groups. Some position groups certainly have talent, but there's so little talent up and down this roster, and yet the beginning of almost every game is really close, and then as the talent gap gets worse throughout the game, and the reason why you say something like that is when you start subbing, since your first string isn't anywhere near their first string, once you start getting into second string versus second string guys, it's a disaster. And if you ever get – it's almost like a bad line change in hockey. If you ever get their first string against your second string, you're smoked. I mean, and yet they have these close games. And then with the Cardinals, clearly the win, a week of preparation is working. You look at every first half for this team except one in one of the losses, they're right there in the game and usually leading the game. And then as the game wears on, the other team can make adjustments, but you don't have the talent to make adjustments. So now you're hamstrung doing what you did when you first got into the game, and now you're not scoring in the second half. But judging by what they're able to do for 30 minutes every game, it's phenomenal coaching is going on right now. And I still want to say that despite the ridiculous fake punt. I just sometimes you do just end up shaking your head. So that's Doug's big one today is we have the the two correct men for the job at ASU and uh, for the Cardinals. A lightning quick Suns point of view. If you could give me uh, Frank Vogel. Suns off today, flying to Golden State. They take on the Warriors. Regular season begins tomorrow night. And uh, I like this from Frank Vogel. And this is the only Suns you're going to get today. Today is D-backs, Cardinals, ASU. But uh, I, I just thought, okay, this is a quick one. And it really enlightens you on what Frank Vogel is looking at rotationally. Because great question by Dwayne Rankin of the Arizona Republic. He noticed how much Kevin Durant is playing five, at the five during the last couple preseason games. Yeah, you know, just like having uh, flexibility, you know, having a little bit of a hybrid identity is something that, you know, I hope to achieve. I don't know if we have the exact uh, personnel to do it. Um, you know, my Indiana teams were big 100% of the time. You know, my Lakers teams where AD played half the time at the four, half of the five. Um, you know, we'll mostly be – our team, I, I anticipate, will be mostly, you know, playing with a true center. But, you know, there's a uh, time throughout the course of an 82-team season where – you know, a small lineup is, is required, and we want to take a look at it. Uh, the reason why I like it is I have been blown – preseason, 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 yes. But I've been blown away by the ball movement in the preseason offensively. And I love the small ball lineup of Duran at the five. When you're matched up with a team that can't take advantage – of the glass because you will be giving up an awful lot of size on the glass but if Nurkic gets into foul trouble it might be better just to go all fast 
go and and play KD at the five. And I love that Durant accepts it because it's – when you say play somebody at the five, the truth is who cares offensively? It, it really almost means who cares. Okay, fine. You should know everybody's position anyway. You should know the movement of everybody in each play. So now you're you're the one doing what the five does. Okay, so what? You know, that that's your job. You should be fine. It's the defensive end when you say somebody's playing the five. Now Kevin Durant's guarding their big center, whoever it might be. And a guy like, you know, you're not going to do it against Joel Embiid because he's just going to back him down and kill him in the post. But a team that has an average center or a center without the girth, then KD can get away with playing him for a couple possessions, and he's willing to do it. And and that that means there's no way they can keep up with the Suns on the offensive end. So I just I, – I love that little piece. I love how much they're working on different things. I said at the beginning of the year, I'll say it again. I don't think the Suns can stay healthy. I'm sorry. I want them to. Of course I do. But you look at the track history of a lot of the guys on the team, they don't play 75, 80 games a year. Hopefully that changes. Now, if it does, I do think the Suns are winning the world championship. I'm not predicting it because my prediction that they – can't stay healthy is a stronger prediction than that they can win at all. But if I can hopefully be wrong on the first one, I think they're winning the NBA uh, Finals. I, I think that they are that talented, that well coached, and they have that much of a high basketball IQ, and the pieces really fit. The one issue will be Devin Booker in the playoffs at point guard when they really pressure him as he tries to bring up the ball. It'll be fine. He'll be great all regular season. But bringing up the ball in the postseason with the traps and the other things that teams are willing to do, that's going to be the challenge, and hopefully he just keeps getting better and better all the time uh, throughout the regular season. All right, coming up next, deep dive. Diamondbacks, game six. What's it going to take to get this thing to a game seven? Rangers were able to win in Houston to push it to a game seven, which is today at 5 o'clock. Can the Diamondbacks do the same thing on the road at Philly where they haven't won yet? That's next. This is Doug Franz Unplugged, presented by Whirlwind Golf Club at Wild Horse Pass on WTSMTV.com. Let's go. Diamondbacks game six coming up. 2.07 today, our time. A little strange uh, on the time, but with the uh, the American League Championship Series being in a, a central time zone, easier to make them go later since uh, the Phillies are eastern time zone. Um, uh, good. Hey, Cameron Cox coming over at 7 o'clock, so let me do me a favor and text him this. That sounds great, period. We already sent you a link. It's in your email. There you go. So uh, Cameron Cox live from Philly coming up at 7 o'clock today. So I'm, I'm, I'm jacked up about that. So I want to do a lot of stuff here. I want to rifle through some um, Diamondbacks. Then I want to cram in a little bit of Cardinals and then get ready for Cameron Cox coming up at, uh, at 7 o'clock this morning. Let's start with D-backs. First of all, Friday was unbelievable. Friday was amazing. Saturday, tough to swallow. 
there's a lot of things to look at in this series. I blame Tori Lovello for the lack of the run game. And I realize analytics are saying with the pop-up times of JT Real Muto, with how good a lot of the guys are at being able to hold people on, and I mean pitchers for the Phillies, and they have scouted the Diamondbacks very, very well. They're doing a lot of things to be able to change up and mix up the run game. And I, and I get it. Okay, good job, Phillies. But to me, the Diamondbacks uh, are playing scared. Torrey Lovello has them playing scared when you don't have them use their aggressive base running. Force the Phillies into being able to make the plays instead of assuming they can with your good base runner. So I really disagree with Torrey Lovello in that standpoint. But I shouldn't just say Torrey. That's organizationally. That's a decision that comes from the GM, the analytics staff, and the manager. They're all in agreement. I disagree with that completely. So I look at Torrey that way. However, one of the other reasons why they're losing is because the guns that they supposedly have all stink right now, okay? Uh, Christian Walker has been abysmal in this series. Uh, Lourdes Gurriel Jr. has had one really good hit, but for the most part has been bad. And Corbin Carroll is playing like a rookie, okay? I Listen, Corbin, we're going to give you all the time in the world. We're so happy you're here. You know, so glad that you signed a 10-year contract. I know you're going to have great postseasons in your life. This right now, this series is not good enough. But I don't want to just call him out in, in like in an angry way because he's 23, you know. I'm, I'm relaxed about it, but you got to say it how it is. So the offense is a problem. However, the number one issue in this series – their ace versus our ace. That's it. Zach Wheeler looks fantastic. Zach Gallen is not getting it done. There's nothing more to it than that. Zach Gallen has been getting ripped apart for his level of abilities compared to Zach Wheeler. Now, I want to be fair because which lineup is more intimidating, okay? Oh, did I actually leave? I hope I didn't leave my scorecard at home. Um, I think I left my scorecard at home. What an idiot. This today, I'm just, I'm on fire today. <laughs> when you want efficiency, hey, right here. But with with that lineup, I'm going to pull it off the top of my head. With Kyle Schwarber and, and of course, his brother Jack, with uh, then Trey Turner and then Bryce Harper, you go with those three guys in a row, and then I think Alec Bohm's been batting cleanup, if I'm not mistaken. That lineup is much more challenging than the top four that the Diamondbacks are able to roll out. So obviously, Zach Gallen has it a lot harder than Zach Wheeler. But Zach Gallen has not been good enough. Has not been good enough. And now Merrill Kelly has an opportunity when he hasn't been good enough in this postseason. It's striking how similar the numbers are between these two pitchers today, okay? Merrill Kelly, 12-8 and eight in the regular season. Aaron Nola, 12-9. and nine. Merrill Kelly, 329 ERA. Aaron Nola, 446. So much better for Merrill Kelly. And then WHIP, which is a fantastic stat, which stands for walks plus hits divided by innings pitched. Basically, it means how often do you let runners on base? Because the more runners you let on base, the more difficult your pitching outing is going to be. So 1.15 is kind of the cutoff, all right? 
anything below 1.15 is good. Anything above 1.15 is okay until you get to about 1.2, and then you're getting ugly, okay? Aaron Nola's whip in the regular season, 1.15, right on that good line. And Merrill Kelly's at 1.19. So you see in the regular season how amazingly close they are. Postseason for Aaron Nola. Okay, this is pretty remarkable. Postseason of Aaron Nola has been a total shutdown. And this this doesn't include just the uh just the Diamondbacks in in their series, okay? For um for Merrill Kelly, let me get his postseason stats cuz I thought I had them and I don't. His postseason numbers are a 3 ERA, not uh, not very good. Not terrible, but not very good. But giving up three home runs, five walks, which is way too much, and his whip is pretty good at well, – it's great, actually, at 0.9. But he hasn't been able to go deep into games in which he's averaged only 12 innings. He pitched 6.1 in, – six and a third innings pitched in, uh, in the Dodgers series, only five and two-thirds innings pitched the other day against the Phillies. Now let's look at Aaron Nola. Aaron Nola, so far in the postseason, has only given up two earned runs in 18 innings pitched. He struck out 19, walked two. And that's their number two guy. So you see, we thought we'll get our number, or want a number two guy to compete, probably win both of those, maybe split, probably lose the other outings with Brandon Fought and the bullpen game. And there's, and there's the series, and then hopefully we can pull out a miracle in Game 7. It's actually the exact opposite. Zach Gallen is a major contributor to losing. Merrill Kelly has been a contributor to losing. And Brandon Fought was lights out. The kid pitched his butt off in Game 3. And the bullpen game ended up being the Diamondbacks' way. So Merrill Kelly has the opportunity to change that narrative today, and that's going to be hugely important. Let's get to what Tori Lovello had to say. I started off this commentary about the offensive struggles, namely Christian Walker, Lourdes Gurriel Jr., Corbin Carroll. Tori Lovello, what's going on with the offense? Uh, the Philly pitchers, uh, especially their one, two, and then back to their one, um, have been really, really effective against us. Um and, uh, you know, it's it's a mixture of pitches. It's keeping us off balance. It's a good pitching plan, attacking attacking zones that that um, that might be some, you know, certain limitations for certain hitters. So that's a um, and then B, I, I think and this is where I hold every one of us accountable. Um, I think we're just making some poor swing decisions. I think we're chasing certain counts. We're aware of pitches. And certain counts, they're doing their math. And then, you know, we see the pitch and it might be a ball or two off of where we're looking at it. And I think we have that mentality that we're just trying to do everything on every pitch. And we got to remember that in order to get a certain pitch that you want to square up, you got to maybe get into, into the count, get some count leverage, have seen the pitch, know where it's going to start, know where it's going to land, and then effectively um, determine where it's going to be so you can barrel it up. So, I, I'm hoping that, you know, things click in a way that we've seen it over the first couple of series, but I want to put it on us because I feel like to get to where we're going and the things that we got to do um, to to win series and, and 
climb that mountain, we've got to be able to beat every type of pitcher, no matter who they are and what type of stuff they have on that given day. Shows you really just how much baseball has changed and how much the information that's available that's supposed to make the game easier has made the game an awful lot harder where you have a bunch of analytic people that have never swung a bat in their life that say, wait a minute, what are you doing? He always throws this pitch and this count, and the pitch starts here and it ends up here, so you should have aimed right here with your bat and should have hit it the blah, 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 blah. You're like, hey, you know, I'm the one up here pit, hitting. You know that pitch looked like it was coming at my nose, and now you're screaming at me because I should have been able to take it the other way. You know, things like that, but – that is the modern day. You can argue about it all you want. That's what's going on right now. As you continually hire people from MIT to be general managers and not people that have ever been to a game. So when we try to figure out what is needed, I don't know if too many things are in their head, but Christian Walker with a 30 homer, 100 RBI season, it's fair to say this has been a failure of a series to this point. The beauty is it can all change tonight. I mean, you get to a game seven, who knows what will happen. And I would bet you could have Zach Allen coming out of the bullpen if you get to a game seven. So that's what's at stake. Find a way. Find a way to get a win today. And the offense needs to come kicking and screaming or we're not going to get there. Um, this is just to get to know Tori a little bit if you find this interesting. I did because I love the history of the game. But uh, he was asked about other coaches, other managers, other people reaching out to him. It's an unbelievably uh, long answer. It's about a four-minute answer. And I didn't need all four minutes, so I, I asked Jeff Weir Production to cut it down. And the reason why I say I didn't need all four minutes is it was a lot of, well, you know, some coaches reach out and they just say, hey, we like what you're doing, good luck, and some people that I know in the business that are rooting for me, and they like this and they like that. And he, it was kind of boring, to be quite honest. But then – he told a story that I liked. So I cut the story out right in the middle of his conversation in which he talked about talking with Joe Torrey both in the 110 loss season and now going into the NLCS. But I will say the best interaction and the best the best conversation I had was probably with Joe Torrey. Um, we were here in Philadelphia for games one and two. And and we laughed a little bit and reminisced and talked about the hardships of 2021, um, the conversations that he and I had about how to work through those tough times. And, and, you know, now that we've come out the other end and here we are playing, you know, on the eve of our first game of the NLCS, we talked about how good it is to kind of stay with who you are, what you believe in. And those were those were great conversations then and even better conversations now. Uh, and he continue. Um, he, he urged me to continue being myself, continue doing the things that I have done to get this team uh, to play the way they have because it's very noticeable every single day. I I think that stuff's cool because there's so much wisdom you can pick up from people that have been there, done that. And for those of you who don't know the story of of Joe Torre, very unsuccessful manager, maybe maybe average with the Braves and the Cardinals. Um, nothing nothing thrilling there at all. And then a lot of people were really against him getting hired as the New York Yankees manager. And with the combination of his leadership and having – listen, you, when you got Derek Jeter, 
you're a lot more predisposed to winning than you were at your other stops. But then he was able to create an environment and an atmosphere that then they just became a juggernaut with the Yankees. And Joe Torre gets a lot of the credit for the way that he handled New York. Because that, that, the deal with the Yankees is just handling New York. It's a lot harder to handle New York than it is to handle the baseball. While other managers only have to worry about the baseball side of things. Well, that was a great thing, I think, for Tori Lovello to be able to have a conversation with a guy that's been there, done that, who is now clearly a Hall of Fame manager because of everything that he accomplished in New York and deserves all the credit in the world. Um, so next, this is – I'm always interested in what are you doing now to get ready. So this is a question that was asked. Here's the schedule of events. They left Sunday, flew into town, and then immediately went from airport to Citizens Bank Park. However, the local media didn't know what they had done, and there wasn't media access going straight into the park yet. So the media had a Zoom call with Tori Lovello, and Steve Gilbert of MLB.com, the Diamondbacks beat reporter, asked Tori, hey, what did you guys do? Did you work out today? Did you hit? So this is the entire game plan that Tori Lovello had yesterday to get ready for today. We landed, came straight here, um, geared up, went out and started working out about an hour and 20 minutes ago. So, um, yeah, all the all the pitchers came in through. We had bullpens that were thrown. Um, everybody got their work in. We got our defensive work in and not, they're 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 winding up in the, with a the final group right now. Our workout will, will conclude at eight o'clock. I think perhaps the coolest part of the day was getting a police escort all the way from the um from the airport to the um, to the field and having to pass by Philadelphia Eagle fans because they're playing right now or getting ready to play. So, yeah, it felt like felt like we were we we had we had that that big man energy and we were going right through cutting through them like butter. So it was nice to get here, get back on the field, feel this cool air. It's very cold out there right now. Uh, it's not 105 as it was in 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 Phoenix. So I was glad that we were able to um, get on the field and, and and get some quality work in. 31-17, Eagles beat the Dolphins on Sunday Night Football, and that's the point is they're going right through. If you don't realize it, the Sixers, the Flyers, the Eagles, and the Phillies all share a parking lot. <laughs> it is a massive South Philly complex with the arena and Lincoln Financial for the Eagles, Citizens Bank for the Phillies, all in this general area. And so you got the, all the Eagles tailgates, you got all the fans trying to pile into the game as well, and the Diamondbacks come right in to get their workout in. And then you hear, okay, they've got everything going on uh, at the ballpark. I'm hoping that the exact opposite happens tonight. You can really tell a lot of character, a lot of the baseball character from some of the guys today. How are they going to handle the pressure of today? I, I don't know the answer to that question because there's the one side of things that, hey, what do you have to lose? It's game six. If you lose, you're out. Just go for it. They're the favorite. Let's go. And it can be freeing. And then there's the, oh, no, we're about to be eliminated. And then you choke worse than you have been. We'll see who can rise up and who's going to struggle under that pressure. Okay, the last one from Tori is the one that's a big one with me. Jeff Passan of ESPN.com asked two questions. I cut out the first one because I can just 
relay it to you, but I kept in when Jeff Passan asked the follow-up, and he asked the question that's been on my mind like crazy. Right now, I think the number is 47. That's the number of pitches that have been thrown with Corbin Carroll on first base. 47 pitches, zero stolen base attempts. The running game is non-existent for a team that got here based on the running game. And Tori Lavello was asked, why have they been shut down running on the bases? Yeah, I just think the Phillies have done a great job of creating awareness um, and and understanding that, uh, or giving us the understanding that they're they're working hard to shut down the running game. You know, their their pitchers are consistently delivering quality pitches in that in that one three to one three five range, um, and they're very unpredictable. And they're just doing a good job of of paying attention to whoever it is at first base, not just Corbin Carroll. You know, who's got the eighty speed, who's got fifty plus stolen bases. We'll steal bases on in, on anybody at any time, but they mm-hmm. they've been doing a good job of getting the ball to the home plate. On top of that. They've been doing a really good job of mixing up their looks and their timing. Um, and, you know, you got to give credit where credit is due. But we got to be as creative as possible to get that to get that portion of our game going because it is such a, a connecting um, – uh, it's, it's such an important piece of our puzzle as we're connecting dots through the course of a game because it's a ton of energy. So we got to get that figured out. I was going to say, when they're scheming successfully and when you've got – guys getting to the plate as quickly as they are how as a base runner can you combat that um yeah without giving it away giving away any of our thoughts or our secrets that we're, we're talking about right now um you just got to be situationally aware of, of whatever a key is or whatever that that timing is and just get the best jump possible what i feel like is um especially in power starting pitcher stuff they need a chance to do to, to gather themselves, get loaded up. And, um, you know, that takes a little bit of time through the delivery, especially with a lot of moving parts. Um, they may, they may, may, may make a mistake at home plate. So we're taking that mindset. If they're hurrying and hustling in their delivery to, to get the ball to pl- the plate or their catcher to control the running game, that that is some noise that we feel like we should be able to take advantage of. Unfortunately, up to this point, we have not. So we got to be better at home plate when there's some quality runners at first base that are causing this pitcher to get the ball to home plate a little bit quicker. There's a lot there to chew on, okay? What he's referring to is he's looking at if we are on first, we're forcing the pitcher into slide steps. We're forcing the pitcher into changing his motion. That should make them more erratic. That should make them not hit their spots. So when he says we at the plate should be able to do more, what he's saying is the run, the lack of run game is actually producing either A, pitches that are easier to hit or pitches that are balls that need to be taken to increase the count in our favor to then take advantage of a 2-0 fastball, 3-1 fastball, and do something with it. So even though we're not running, our problem is the plate, the batter, isn't taking advantage of it. Nice speech, you're right, and it still doesn't change the fact to run. Let's go. Put actual pressure on these guys. Quit being afraid. Oh, no. The Phillies might throw us out. You know, let's see. How is the plan worked by doing it your way? You're down 3-2. Let's see what happens if you change it. 
And then the last one that he he said, um, eighty speed, fifty stolen bases. That might have sounded weird if you don't know what he's referring to, because it's not like he's saying that Corbin Carroll runs eighty miles an hour. Eighty speed refers to a kind of a grading scale of players. This goes, gosh, I think Branch Rickey invented it. If if you're not familiar who Branch Rickey is, Branch Rickey invented the farm system. Okay. No one like there used to be minor leagues, but no team had minor league teams themselves. It would be you would play for the San Francisco Seals, let's say, and you got to be good enough that the Yankees said, I like your DiMaggio guy. We'll give you this much money for him. And you bought the contract off of a minor league team. Okay. So that's how that used to work. Well, what an 80 scale is, is Branch Rickey said the average player is worth 50. So if you're a 50, you're average. Now, he also declared there's no way a major leaguer is 50 points better than average, and there's no way a major leaguer is 50 points worse than average. So he set the bar as 30. The best in the game can only be 30 points better than average. So that's why you have a 20-80 scale. So 20 is like the worst major leaguer, 80 is the best. So when you hear him say uh, Corbin's got 80 speed, he's referring to the 20 to 80 scale, 80 is the best. So there's a quick rundown on all the things that Tory said. Cam Cox right now is live in Philadelphia. He covers the Diamondbacks with 12 News and has been going all over the place. 12 News has been fantastic. They sent Lena Washington to Seattle for the Cardinals. They got Cam and Philly. And Cam, I just want to check in, number one, on your health. Are, are, were, did you get mugged last night? Were you able to – doing live hits at 1.30 puts your safety in peril. Just an opinion. Yeah, Doug. Also, doing live hits at 1.30 in the morning after a Sunday night football game, I don't think I've ever seen so many people passed out outside of a stadium in my entire life. <laughs> We were just outside on the streets outside of City Hall doing live TV uh, for 12 News Today at AZ. I think the city's still asleep. Like, I think half the city called into work today just because, like, they were out till we were at 2 a.m. last night. I've never seen a more different group of people after a football game than after a Philly Sunday night football game. It was it was incredible people watching, Doug, from, like, end of game to about 2.15 in the morning. They did not stop. They honked their horns a lot, too. I just think people just to do it, just to do it. They don't stop honking their horns, either. I'm, I wonder if there's any chance maybe the crowd is going to be subdued today. If, is, there, is there any chance for game six they're asleep from last night? No, Doug, because they slept until one. They're good. <laughs> they're well-rested. They got 12 hours of sleep. Somebody just told me to go have a cheesesteak for breakfast. They're juiced up. They're ready to go. No problem, right? Oh, that sounds bad. A cheesesteak and a beer sounds fantastic right now. All right. Uh, at what, at in, 10 a.m. in the morning? Why not? Why not? Absolutely. I'm at here in Phoenix at 7 yeah. in the morning. I'm ready. Let's go. That's why, that's why you're built differently, Doug. You're just I, built I'm, differently. I'm a little odd. I admit it. So I realized it was a Zoom call. It's not like you were sitting in Tory's office. But is yeah. there any way to try to judge – just in conversation with him or if, in case you texted any guys that you're you're now going to pool parties with jumping in the pool is is there is there what do you know about their spirit their attitude going into game six focus maybe a little angry that they let oh, game five slip away uh you know tory was always great to talk to doug 
he had some urgency in his voice. And you could always tell, I'm not sure if he said something to the team or if he's just feeling it or if the guys are feeling the moment, uh, not in a bad way or in a pressure way. They just understand kind of the gravity of what's about to take place a little bit later on today. I could always tell when Torrey's got a little bit of something in his voice. And that's kind of what I took away uh, from that Zoom call. They landed. Uh, obviously, you know, Saturday night was a long night getting here to Philly. They landed, went straight to the ballpark and uh, kind of got some work in. That's been kind of normal with this series, but you could just tell there was kind of an urgency to get his team on the field, get them refocused. He wanted them to feel the cool air in Philly last night because it's going to be about 50 degrees uh, tonight when they take the field too as well. So, I mean, it's, it's going to be cold out there. Um, and, and he, I love this line. He said the coolest part of yesterday was kind of the police escort from the airport to the ballpark. And the reason he said that was the best part is because there were all these Eagle fans and Philly fans that they passed on their way to the stadium. And he said, we cut through them like butter. We had that big guy energy. Hopefully they can bring some of that today. They're going to need it. That, that place, Doug, you know, we joke that this town is still asleep. They have a chance to do something pretty special. Get revenge, get back to the World Series, back-to-back years. You know, we'll see what happens in yeah. that Houston Rangers series. But, I mean, th- this crowd's going to be electric. And we thought games one and two were loud. Tonight's going to be pretty loud. They know exactly what they're walking into. Uh, but it was cool that they won the first stare down. We'll see what they can bring a little bit later on today. Go positive and go negative. Best thing you've seen from the Diamondbacks in the NLCS and the worst thing. thing that drives you crazy the most. Sure. Uh, we'll start with the worst thing. It's, it's Corbin Carroll, Doug. And listen, I want to preface this by saying all rookies at some point aren't the best things in sliced bread, right? Like Corbin Carroll has been phenomenal. He's going to win rookie of the year. Like these are all things. He's a main reason, if not the reason, that Diamondbacks have this new life and are going to be a good baseball team for years to come. Just like Devin Booker, just like Kyler Murray. I mean, you can you can build your team around him and go. Like he's like an old veteran young guy in the clubhouse that even old guys like Evan Longoria and Christian Walker, Merrill Kelly have been around a long time. They look at him and like, man, that kid's really good at baseball. We better step up our game. They would not be here without him. But the fact that he's two of 19 in the series has zero stolen bases. Apparently there's a reason that they can't run against the Phillies. The Phillies are doing all these different things, they, you know, to, to slow them down on the bases. Yet the Phillies could run. The Phillies could be aggressive. But yet the D-backs game plan is they can't do that against the Phillies. They haven't come out and flat out said it, but they've sure hinted at it that the mm-hmm. Phillies have affected them on the bases this entire series. That's been the most frustrating thing because that part of the game got them to this point. All that chaos that we've talked about just hasn't been there to the fullest. And I get it. If the Phillies do that really well and protect the bases, great. But you got to at least try. Like, go down swinging, right? In Amen. a boxing match, hold your punches. Like, come on, throw some yes. and go down swinging. So yes. that's been the most frustrating part. The best part, Doug, is they are here. Like, are you kidding me? They, they can talk all they want that they expected to be here in spring training, and they've said that, and, and this team was going to be this good. But come on. Let's be real. Did anybody expect this? They're a year, maybe two years ahead from being at this point. And it's been incredible to see this team that lost a hundred and something games a couple of years ago that had questions about their manager, about their GM's future. And then all of a sudden they find themselves two wins away from the World Series and still playing this late in October. Torrey's going to be around for a long time. Mike Hazen's going to be around for a long time. You can now build around pieces. You tell me you can add a bat, another starting pitcher in the offseason. They're going to be just as fine and be back here. It's been incredible to watch this team kindly, finally, 
mold into what we all hope they would be at some point. Because when, when that the Diamondbacks are electric, they're a lot of fun to watch. What surprises you more, the Christian Walker performance or the Zach Gallen performance in the NLCS? It, it's got to be Zach Gallen, Doug. Like, that's been the most – like, he's your ace. Mm-hmm. And you saw what Zach Wheeler has done for the Phillies and how that kind of set the tone when he's wheeling and dealing out there, pun intended. But, like, you just wanted more from Zach Gallen in a way. And, listen, he didn't pitch bad. I mean, he did give up nine runs in two games to the Phillies, five home runs. Okay. Not terrible. I mean, not great, uh, but not terrible too as well. The offense has got to help him out at some point. But when they hit Zach, they hit him pretty hard. And I think that's been the MO at times against Zach Gallon is as great as he's been, as ace as he's been sometimes. There's some games where it just makes your head scratch. And like, it's almost like the book is out on him at times and times. And like, teams are either behind him or they're a mile ahead of him. So that's been the most frustrating part. I will say this. They need Christian Walker to swing that bat. Um, he's kind of proved slowly that after they traded away Goldie in 2019 or 2018, they gave Walk the job in 2019. He's won gold gloves. He's turned into that power hitting first baseman. I know people don't consider him in that top kind of area for first baseman in the National League, but he is. When you look mm-hmm. at the stats and you look at the awards that he's won. So in this part of the season, he's that guy for them to be that cleanup guy, maybe sometimes in the third hole, he's got to hit, Doug. Like, yeah. He's got to drive in some runs. As you saw what the D-back, uh, the Philly stars do, right now the D-back stars aren't getting that job done. Totally agree. The, the ignorance of everybody else isn't Christian Walker's fault. When you go 30 and 100 and you're a gold glover, you're a star. Yeah. It's, it's everybody yeah. else's fault that they don't know that, and, and he's got to get it done. All right, last question is simply, what's your plans today? I mean, it's easy for us to say, boy, 207 game time is tough, but between now and the 507 Eastern time first pitch, what all are you doing? Well, this morning we're going to go get some breakfast after this. I'm not going to have a cheesesteak for breakfast, so I'm going to go find some good breakfast out here in Philly. Uh, I want to go take a walk, kind of get the vibe of the city. I always love doing that anytime we go on the road somewhere. I want to hear what people are talking about. I want to hear what Philly fans are talking about. What are they talking about in the coffee shop? I'm going to take a trip down uh, to Independence Hall, just kind of check it out. We stopped by there yesterday, but didn't get a chance to go in. So I uh, cool. kind of want to do some sightseeing before the game. Get to the ballpark uh, around noon. Toy Lavelle is going to talk at, at uh, 1230 here, local time in Philly. Uh, then they got a little bit of downtime. A couple players going to come out uh, before batting practice. Love getting to the ballpark early and just kind of seeing what the vibe is. I, I'm going to be real interested, Doug, how many people are going to be there. Uh, around noon i've heard philly fans show up they showed up really early for games one and two obviously those were later in the evening uh but just kind of being out in the city this morning and not seeing a lot of people you're almost wondering if they're just saving kind of just to be out there and tailgating uh bright and early before this game so really interested to see the vibe around the ballpark um we'll be live on 12 news at one o'clock leading up to the game during batting practice so it'll be very interesting to see kind of the vibe around this team uh vibe around the city uh this morning and kind of get some boots on the ground and see what people are talking about today are you Uh, you kidding they they left their phillies jersey in the trunk they're they're it's the same people that were there last night they didn't leave from the eagles game that was the cra- I dug. I, I guarantee you, some of those people we saw passed out last night are still there in the same spot next to the book. They have somebody brought them breakfast. They were like, we're going to check on Chad in the morning. Make sure Chad gets some coffee. Uh, I don't think anybody at 12 News would mind an interview with Chad and uh, and, and, and and all the drinking buddies. You were, Hey, thanks for letting us uh, drive you nuts in the middle of the, the your morning when you're getting ready for your, your nice walk and your coffee. 
Doug, you uh, predicted that we would be coming back here. What's your prediction for tonight? No comment. Uh, <laughs> listen, if the 1980 Olympic hockey team can beat the CCCP, who had just beaten the Rangers in, a, in an exhibition game, anything can happen. But no way in the world am I betting on this game because I don't want blood money. I would bet my wallet says bet on the Phillies. I'm like, I'm not. I don't want blood money. I don't want money for being miserable, but I don't see how in the world this thing gets done. Aaron Nola has been light years better in the postseason than he was in the regular season. So the heart says, of course, go D-backs, but no way am I actually putting money behind it. I would assume the Phillies win. Listen, I know this is your show. You're supposed to ask all the questions, but I knew you'd get me fired up for the day with that comment. So I appreciate that. (laughs) If the D-backs can win today, anything can happen. There's always a chance. Always a chance. All right. Go Rangers. <laughs> no comment. No yeah, comment. There you go. Uh, yeah, next oh, question. Oh, we're friends. <laughs> While well, we're still there. Thank you, Cam. Love you, buddy. Talk to you later. There's uh, Cam Cox, 12 News, having fun with me. If you don't know, he's an enormous Astros fan, so I bust his chops all the time. Unfortunately, he always wins. Until we get to talk about the Texans, then I get to rub that into him, even though C.J. Stroud looks fantastic. Thanks a lot, Cam Cox. You heard him. I want to give them a free plug. Of course, I want you always watching us. Okay? We're the best sports television station in the world, WTSMTV.com. But, listen, a guy helps me out. I'm a part-timer at uh, at 12 News, so free plug for him doing his live hit at 1 o'clock today. All right, coming up next, let's ask a question that I, I didn't think was hard to understand. If you need to go nine yards, why is your first read a five-yard curl? Please explain. The Cardinals don't have an explanation. That's next. This is Doug Franz Unplugged, presented by Whirlwind Golf Club at Wild Horse Pass on WTSMTV.com. It's hot. We've had a pretty hot summer here in Arizona. Who can you trust with your air conditioning? There's only one place my family has ever trusted in Arizona, and that's Parker & Sons Heating, Cooling, Plumbing, and Electrical. Call 602 to repair. That's 602, the number two, then R-E-P-A-I-R for Parker & Sons. And the reason why I suggest them to you as passionately as I possibly can is I know they've showed up on time to my home every time. And they've gotten it right the first time, every time. And they've treated me fairly every time. What else can you say? Plus, they don't charge anything for nights, weekends, emergencies. That means something. Because when your air conditioner goes out in the summer in Arizona, that's an emergency. You need repairs fast. And you can trust Parker and Sons. How do I know? Because my family does. 6022 repair. That's 602, the number two, then R E P A I R for Parker and Sons. Rosati Sports Pub in Chandler. It's on Ray and McQueen. Sounds like a sports bar. What's the difference? You walk in and they actually have games on TV with the sound on. How many times do you walk into a supposed sports bar and they've got loud music on or somebody playing live or some kind of trivia game going on and you're there to watch the game? If you're like me, a simple guy, give me my pizza, give me my wings, give me my cold beer and make sure I can hear the Suns and D-backs, then you want Rosati Sports Pub and Chandler. All members of the Unplugged Army, welcome. Rosati Sports Pub, give me the game. 
Travis Kelsey averages 100 yards a game when Taylor Swift is there. He averages 45 yards a game when Taylor Swift is not there. You decide. I just give you the info sometimes. You decide what you want to do with it. Uh, uh, let me do some house cleaning because I wasn't paying attention after talking to Cam Cox. Uh, was that break three, uh, Jeff Weir production? It was break three, yes, oh, okay. sir. Player, player. Wow. I... Okay, let me give you the cheese ball, Jonathan Gannon. Number one, you're one and what? What are they? One and six now, and he talks for three minutes. And I'm sure the media has a lot harder questions they'd like to talk about. But anyway, uh, here's the standard. I like my team. We try hard. Good hard fought game. Didn't make enough plays there to win. A um, couple turning points in the game. Um, let me give them credit. They made some plays there. I thought we battled. We just I just told him though today or in the locker room there we just got to battle a little bit better. But I uh, like the fight from him and uh, we'll go back to work tomorrow. Okay, number 1 the team is averaging 1 point per fourth quarter so far on the season. They are 1 and 6 on the year. Uh it, it, it's hard to talk about because it's not his fault. That's what's that's what's difficult about talking Cardinals football. The owner has chosen to have the worst facility in the NFL to prepare his team for NFL games. The owner has decided to keep the former general manager despite the fact that he wasn't putting eight hours into a day. And then you wonder why the talent isn't as good. And you've, you've got that. Okay, so that's... That's not something you magically overcome. It doesn't matter how many games you have. Like a lot of people might be thinking, when is Jonathan Gannon going to make an adjustment? When is when are they going to do something differently? How long does the excuse of Michael Bidwell and Steve Keim last? Really, sadly, it lasts about two years. That's how bad this organization has been run. So you're not magically going to be able to win these games. Yet... Yesterday was the first one where Jonathan Gannon did something so egregious. Him or Jeff Rogers, but it doesn't matter. You're the head coach. Did something so egregious that we have to stop and go, okay, what are we doing here? And it really bothers me that Jonathan Gannon said in the postgame that he liked the call on fourth down. Hey, I like the call. It's a good play. It just didn't work. They made a play, blah, blah, blah. Okay. Listen. The Cardinals did not lose the game because of a fake punt, all right? You, you've got a 60-minute game. All kinds of things happened in that game. One play call did not lose them the game. But when the one play call is so – it's just dripping with ignorance at so many different levels, it's really hard to not focus in on it. If you didn't see the game yesterday – the Arizona Cardinals are down by a touchdown, and there's about five and a half. I forget the specific time, but it's less than six minutes to go in the game. Okay, so I'm going to ballpark it at about five nineteen, but I don't remember for sure what it was. So at the five nineteen mark, they don't get a first down, and on fourth and nine, they're going to uh, punt it. So the punt team comes out on the field. They try to slip out Clayton Tune on punt team, the backup quarterback. 
thinking there's no way that Seattle is going to figure out that Clayton Toon ran out onto the field. Number one, that kind of scares me because if you think that's sneaky, that means people can fool you with it. Okay? So, like nobody up in the booth is paying attention. Hey, the backup quarterback's in. Then, once they decide they're going to do it, they get into punt formation and then quickly shift into a different formation in which Clayton Toon's now in the shotgun. All right. You got to be in a different formation to run this fake punt play. You're trying to fool them. I, I don't like a fake punt with five minutes to go in the fourth quarter because it's so obvious you're going to run a fake punt. It's fourth and nine. You don't want to give the other team the ball when they're up by a touchdown. I think it's much easier to make a fourth and nine with your offensive players on the field than it is to make a fourth and nine with your punt team on the field. I, so I, that's why I don't like it. I don't mind. I'm not like a, a Debbie Downer anti-fake punt guy. But to me, you're trying to fake somebody out. And nobody's going to be faked out by a punt, a midfield fake punt with five minutes to go when you're down a touchdown. Everybody's kind of like, hey, this is a good time to fake it. Okay, that means we're going to put all of our team out there to get ready for your fake. Then the execution was so terrible at the beginning of the play. So let's say you've decided, you know what, we're going to fool them by putting out the backup quarterback. We're going to fool them by running a fake punt with 5.15, 5.19 to go down by a touchdown. We're going to fool them by switching into this formation. Once they switched into that formation, it took them so long between formation change and play that that's when a good coach and, – and, an experienced coach. I don't want to say a good coach because that hints that Jonathan Gannon's not a good coach. He will be a good coach. But an experienced coach looks at that and says, we didn't fool anybody, timeout. And then if you want to go for it, you go for it with your regular offense or you actually punt the ball if you think you can get the ball back. Either way, you don't go forward with the punt when it's clear you didn't fool anybody because you took so long to actually get to the play. Now, the play itself, you look at you have four main options to throw the football, and in a sense, you're in trips right, which means you got three guys on the right side of the formation to throw the ball to. Two of the guys are pretty uh, are up pretty close, and Michael Wilson's guy's guarding the sticks. He's right there. So what's happened here is the entire play, with the way the defense gets lined up quickly, is you only have one option, throw it to Michael Wilson. All right, maybe you're going to hit him with a fade. Maybe he's going to run past the stick and, and run a little bit of an out pad. I don't know. But the first thing he does is he runs five yards down the field, turns around, and runs a curl. This is really important to me that I, I don't like it when fans say something that I'm about to hint at, and I want you to know the difference. A lot of fans get very bent out of shape. Let's say it's third and 10, and a guy runs a six-yard pattern, okay? And then everybody's so mad. Run it 10 yards! Why would you throw it six? Okay, and they, they flip out. The truth is, there are three guys all running a deeper route, and they failed to get open. That's on them. 
It's also a credit to the defense. They drafted the right people. They covered the right people. They anticipated the play. They shut those people down. So you have to have some kind of outlet. So if you make that guy always run the 10 yards on third nine to get past the sticks, he's going to be covered more heavily. He's not going to be open. Now you've got to force him the ball. Probably gets not. You never know what might happen. But it's the reason why he's there is so it doesn't end up as a sack. So, therefore, he can get the ball, and then you know what? You're allowed to break a tackle, make a play, try to get the first down on your own, right? So, when we talk about that, if you ever hear a guy yell and scream, I don't know why they only ran six yards. That's one guy out of three, four, or five different people trying to get open. They have to have an outlet somewhere. That's not the first read, though. When I talk about that specific type of play where you have one guy running short of the sticks, he's not the first read. You've went through your progressions. Nobody's open. Now you're going there. The Arizona Cardinals designed a fake punt, called it on fourth and nine, in which the number one read in the progression was a five-yard curl. That's not a situation where you're saying, I I was forced to check this down. That's a situation where Michael Wilson was the number one option. What are you doing? If he's the number one option, how is he not going the full distance to the chains? So that's what I mean by multi-layer failure here. You ran out the backup quarterback and you changed formation and it took forever to get you to go from punt formation to the actual snap in a different formation, making it obvious to the defense what you're trying to do. Then, before you snapped it, all three guys in the trip's right portion of the formation and the receiver on the left, sorry, I can't remember who the receiver on the left was, they've been covered. So now your play clearly didn't work and Jonathan Gannon wasn't quick enough to say this failed let's call timeout then you actually run a play and nobody on the sideline thought wait a minute it's fourth and nine this fake punt the first read is a five-yard curl maybe we shouldn't we got to call timeout here that's really scary that nobody had the foresight at any moment during that play clock this is going to be bad So they complete the pass, they get five yards on fourth and nine, and they hand the ball over to Seattle. Just not an intelligent decision. One play. One play does not mean Jonathan Gannon doesn't know how to coach. One play doesn't mean we should bring back Amos Jones to to coach special teams. But when you screw up that bad, I I do get worried. I can't can't deny it. I get worried. Like, what, what is that? Everything else in the game is same old, same old. Six to nothing. They lose the second half. They don't score again in the fourth quarter. They average one point per every fourth quarter. Uh, Dobbs has a wonderful play on a weird first and goal from their own, from the twenty-five of the Eagles. Very Eagles. I don't know why the Eagles are on my mind. The Seahawks. Very strange. Yes, first and goal from the twenty-five after a terrible interception from Dobbs. In which, yeah, he got his arm hit a little bit, but the read was not there. And he ends up turning it over, bad pick. Oh, don't worry. Roughing the passer, 
you get to keep the ball. Then DJ Humphreys tries to punch an opponent, hits an F, hits an official. DJ is gone. You mark the 15 yards off. It's first and goal from the 25. And then Joshua Dobbs uses his legs and turns a little zone read into a 25-yard run for a touchdown. And that's the only offensive touchdown of the day in which they get three turnovers from the Seahawks and they can't do much with it. And a putrid performance from the offense. But again, offensive line, not very good in this game, in a very tough environment in Seattle, losing your left tackle. And that's something you got to stare down DJ Humphreys. It's a hard discussion on what this team needs most of as we enter the 2024 draft. They desperately need somebody that can cover somebody else. They need a corner. They desperately need people that can rush the passer. They need to start worrying about a middle linebacker, even though they've been drafting middle linebackers every day, it seems like, of Steve Kimes' tenure. They need another wide receiver, and they are in desperate need of offensive line help, namely, in my opinion, guard or left tackle. Yeah, I said left tackle. I think it's – I just looking at what D.J. Humphreys did, D.J. Humphreys, there's been about two letdowns a game in which he's just getting blown up. Nice guy, great dude. You always root for D.J. Humphreys. But to be able – you look at some of the tackles that are going to come out in this draft – and then you look at the idea for this many years to have Paris Johnson Jr. and another stud left tackle that you draft within the first five or six picks, and they say, here, you know, for the rest of mankind's history, you can only rush us up the middle. We never have to worry about the outside rush. That's pretty powerful. You're not wrong if you say, no, got to go corner. You're not wrong if you say, no, got to go wide receiver, okay? But – you're not wrong if you say, hey, you got to go defensive line, whether it's interior defensive line or pass rusher or outside linebacker. Those are all needs. But to me, I think the offensive line is still on the top. Ah, no, I still think it's number two. But I like, depending on where you draft, would it be a corner or would it be an offensive lineman? There's some high-end tackles at the beginning of the draft. So Cardinals lose. The other things about the Cardinals game that uh, – that got to me is again the inaccuracy of Dobbs, and you, you, you. It's hard to improve accuracy. He's not seeing the field well, and I, I just really like the young man. I'm really rooting for him, but he's a backup quarterback in the NFL, and every week he's getting more and more exposed by everybody else, and that's such a major negative that it's not going to get much better. And then you look at the performance of Lamar Jackson this weekend as the Ravens destroyed the Lions. Now, granted. This sets up for a, for a an upset type of game. When you have a huge game like that for the Ravens to win and destroy the Lions, they're feeling higher than they've ever felt before, and now they're leaving cold Baltimore. Obviously not today, but at the end of the week. They're leaving cold Baltimore to come to 80 degrees Arizona and... They're feeling higher than they've ever been this year as well as they're playing, and they're looking at a record of a 1-6 football team that can't even score in the second half. A lot of times that actually mounts up to upsets. So I'm not predicting it. I'm telling you the same thing I told you when the 49ers lost to the Browns. And I said this is the easiest pick in the book to take the Browns plus the points. But if you're a gambling person, I would take the Browns in an upset because this is exactly how upsets happen. The formula looks pretty similar for Ravens-Cardinals, and uh, but I, who knows? 
Uh, okay, coming up next, I want to dive into ASU. We got a lot to talk about with Arizona State, in which that was one of the strangest games ever. Sun Devils lose 15-7, to and they keep finding ways to lose. That's the mark of a bad team. But I still think CKD's the right guy. I'll tell you why next. This is Doug Franz Unplugged, presented by Whirlwind Golf Club at Wild Horse Pass on WTSMTV.com. Burrito Express started with my father about 25 years ago. He got laid off and decided that he needed to do something to provide for his family. My brother and I were older teens, 17, 18 year old. And I'm going to do a trial out of my house. So literally we decided we're going to start out of his house. So we delivered uh, menus in a square mile area, literally started delivering burritos out of our home in Mesa, Arizona. And after about a month, he said, let's do this. Went and found his first location. And believe it or not, that's how it started. We started with one location back in 1995. Now we're where we are now it's big it's juicy it's meaty get your burrito at burrito express if you're having a hangover a bad day even a good day still get your burrito at burrito express it will make you feel better gotta be blunt so you know my frame of reference. I am such a huge fan of the human being Trenton Borgay, the quarterback of Arizona State. And I I was so frustrated by that pick six for all parties involved. Uh, Kenny Dillingham loved the play. And the way he explained it, I see what he's looking at. And he was really good at it took too long to get the snap based on where the motion man was, explained it well, but that all goes to execution. And I, I want I don't know what it's like to play quarterback. You could see the receiver partially slip for just a second. For just a second. And then he wasn't able to come back underneath. And even though that's true and it's hard, you're already right here ready to throw when you notice the slip. It just felt like I'm guessing here. I'm not being critical. I don't – the corner looked like he read it from the beginning. That's the difference. And if he reads it from the beginning, I, would, I wish Trenton would have seen that corner's not going anywhere. It doesn't matter if the receiver doesn't even slip. That corner's right there. This play didn't work. I also don't like the play call from this standpoint, and I love Kenny Dillingham, but I think he got the play call wrong on that pick six because – Trenton Borgay is a good college quarterback because he's brilliant. He is so intelligent that let him read the field and he's going to pick you apart if you can just give him a second. But that was a throw from one hash to the opposite sideline exposing every – he does not have that kind of arm. From a prospect standpoint, he's got a very weak arm. I don't even think that's a Division One football, Power 5. I, I, it's probably a Power 5 arm, but it's not an arm where you're saying that's a team that's going to go, say, 7-5, and five, okay? If your quarterback has an arm like that, you've got to have weapons all around him and then call plays that expose the defense so he can figure out and go through his progressions and kill you with it. 
that to me was a play that's based on arm strength, not high football IQ. And I, and if you're going to run it, fine, at least run it from the, the, the hash mark that's near the play. Going from the far hash, throwing it all the way over there when it's a 53-yard uh, field, I, I just don't like that play. I, I didn't like it for Trenton Bourget. I wish Trenton would have read the corner better. And obviously with the player slipping, maybe it wouldn't have been a pick six. There's a lot of maybes there, but I, I don't like that play. And it really stinks because that's the pick six that ends the game. That's the only touchdown of the game for Washington. So there's a lot to go over. Kenny Dillingham is still doing a fantastic job. When you think about how much Dr. Crow, Ray Anderson, and Herm Edwards destroyed Arizona State football and have been totally allowed to get away with it because there's zero accountability from the Arizona Board of Regents. Here, you get $4 million, you get $4 million, we'll buy you out, we'll buy you out, and we'll put two staffers that are low-money staffers up against the NCAA's uh, committee and uh, and blame them for everything. Since that's the way they run things at ASU, it's embarrassing. But when you look at how hard it is and the, the fact that right now, other than that horrible Fresno State game, this team is averaging losing by eight points a game. Their average loss is by one possession. That's insane how good that is with a team that's this bad. Um, tell me what you thought about your star-studded defense that didn't give up a touchdown to a guy that was in the Heisman Trophy running, Coach. Unbelievable. Defense battled. They attacked. They played aggressive. Played the, they played way better uh, than enough to win the football game versus uh, that offense. Unbelievable job by Coach Ward. Unbelievable job by that entire staff. Unbelievable job by our players competing and fighting our corners, taking those guys outside one-on-one -on -one and, and on base downs and challenging them, uh, playing aggressive, playing cover zero on early downs. All right, loved how our defense played. Unbelievable performance by them. This is, this is a question that you really need to hear, and uh, – and I think this is important. There's going to be a lot of talk show hosts today. They're going to be focused on Diamondbacks, focused on Cardinals. They're not going to talk about ASU. And I get it. I get it. it, it that's, that's their priority, and, and I try to talk about everybody. But they're not going to listen to this quote, and I think this is really important because a couple of the fourth down decisions, I admit, as I'm sitting there, I didn't like them. I, I don't think you should have went for that. And yet when he explains their field goal situation – Holy crap. This shows you just how bad Herm Edwards and Ray Anderson destroyed this thing. Yeah, we were down two linemen, and we went in saying if we lost two more linemen, we couldn't kick field goals. So one lineman was risky. We knew it. So when we kicked the one field goal, uh, getting into the depth of the O-line, uh, we were a little concerned, and then that one got blocked. Uh, and then we lost another O-lineman. Cade was out for a little while, so it was a no-go that we couldn't. We couldn't kick it, uh, so it was 100% a go. And, uh, you know, it's a motion play. We know they're going to play man. We know they're going to spin the back end. So we're trying to motion the guy across, get him to spin the back end, get the guy to go over top, and then bang it back underneath. Uh, you know, it was loud in there. Credit to their stadium, it was loud. It was snapped the ball. Uh, you know, the indicator in the snap was way too late. So it got the guy almost outside of the rub runner pre-snap. So pretty much it's a, it's a horrible play at that point. You're just running a delayed in route versus catch man, right? We're trying to get the guy to go out, get the guy to go over top and then bring him back in. We got exactly what we wanted. 
But, you know, we're, I just said it on the radio, but right now we're trying to find different ways to lose football games. Playing good enough, we're playing good enough football to win. Uh, we're just finding different ways to lose. And that was another way we found to lose tonight. And it's really, really unfortunate. That was a great breakdown of the pick six because he's explaining when we put this guy into motion, there's an indicator. There's a sign that the defense is going to give you of where the ball should go, and that sign happened, and then we snapped the ball much later than we should. That allowed the defense to recover. The indicator is worthless. Now we're into a bad play. I, I get it. I still don't love the length that you wanted that ball to travel from from him. But you heard him talk about we're forced to go for it because we can't even kick field goals. We don't have the linemen right now to kick field goals. So listen to this. This is a question that's asked, hey, at least though with you losing another close game, the formula for winning is there, right? And as he answers the question about the formula for winning, he goes back to the field goal situation and calls out campus. Yeah, I mean, I thought we moved the ball, to be honest. Uh, you know, we only had two three and outs versus a pretty good defense. I think 350 yards, not ideal. But, you know, where we are personnel-wise, I thought we ran the ball well. It was a positive. I thought some of the, the misdirections runs were good. I thought getting to Carlos back was good for Scat as a good mix-up. Uh, but at the end of the day, you know, we didn't win. We knew if they lined up and played man that we were going to have a chance at 50-50 balls to get those explosive plays and we just didn't have though we didn't get those wins so I got to find better ways to get our guys opportunities to get the ball downfield because I think we only had two explosive passes maybe one explosive pass in the football game could it could have been a walk-off but I, we got to get more explosive passes I got to do a better job um, mix, mixing that in but I thought our O-line played pretty well. Uh, I butchered that I threw to the wrong quote so let me talk about that quote and then I'll set up the next one again. Uh, I love that he said I, we thought we were going to win some one-on-one -on -one matches, and that was a really sad commentary on Troy O'Mary. Uh, I, I thought he played terrible. He had so many one-on-one -on -one matchups that he didn't just fight for the ball well enough. I wish they would have stopped going to him because I don't think he deserved more chances. He was open or in one-on-one -on -one coverage that he could have won 50-50 balls and Clearly didn't. Okay, now is the one where he's asked about the formula for winning and he calls out everybody on campus. Yeah, the formula was there. That was the formula we wanted. We wanted to keep the ball. We wanted to run the football. We wanted to run perimeter runs. We wanted to throw a really quick passing game and not take negatives, which we did throughout the game. We wanted to use that to keep possession of the ball. Uh, the difference is we missed two field goals, right? If you have 13 points there at the end. It's a different football game. Uh, we didn't convert on two of the fourth downs in the plus territory because we weren't making field goals when we were aggressive on them. Both of those would have been field goal scenarios. Jalen Conyers earlier would have been a field goal scenario as well. We would have kicked both of those, but we just weren't in a personnel position uh, to kick those, to be honest. And I wasn't going to go put somebody out there that, that you know, is going to struggle in that scenario. I'm going to play to try to win it. So those two plays in the game, those two four downs, uh, and then missing two field goals, that's four times you get inside enemy territory inside the 25-yard line and have zero points. I mean, even if you kick four field goals in that scenario, you have 12 more points and you win the football game. So we got to clean up and get more consistent on field goal. We got to, I don't know if there's big bodies at ASU who just go there that want to play field goal for us. If you weigh 330 pounds, and I mean it, like 
reach out to our team, 320 pounds, reach out to our team because we need big bodies to put in there on field goal and we're down a lot of them. And that's going to come back to bite us if we, you know, have to play without, you know, a, a successful field goal unit. Uh, so that was those scenarios. He's not joking. He's absolutely not joking. So you could argue it's an excuse. Hey, if we would have done this, if we would have I, I get that. I don't, I don't look at it as an excuse. I look at it as a reason. The reason why we can't get field goals and we don't have human beings to do it. Jeff Weir Production, how much do you weigh? 175. 175. So if we could get two of you in a jersey, <laughs> you could get a scholarship, Jeff. <laughs> And think about this. At 39 years old. Yes, why not? Why not? <laughs> I mean, that's how bad it is. I guarantee you he wasn't joking. Uh, hey, if you're 300, 330 pounds walking around campus, you want to play football for the remainder of the season, come on. <laughs> we just stand here and try not to let this guy pass you when we kick field goals, and that's it. That's how dire straits they're in. All right, last one uh, of the day. Uh, I want you to hear this because I like him acknowledging this. You know you're a bad team when you find ways to lose. He now calls it a bingo card of ways to lose. Like I said, it's a bingo card for how are we going to lose even though we're playing winning football, which is very upsetting. But I will say this. I'm so proud of our guys. Our guys are battling. We're one in six. Our guys are competing their butt off. We couldn't go to a bowl game preseason. Nobody cares about us. And our guys are showing up to work every day. They're competing every day. They're in that locker room hugging each other, saying we're going back to work. We're building the right culture here. We can see how close we are in year one through all of this, all the, all the banged up, all the negative. We're this close. We're this close to not just being a solid team. We're this close to being the number five team in the country. We're this close to beating USC. We're this close to being good football teams. This close. So we're going in the right direction. Would I like it to happen faster? Yes. I'd like it to happen much faster. But you know what? You can't control the time of when it's going to flip. But when we learn how to win, we're going to be a really, really dangerous football team. Did you hear him throw that little thing in there? That little line about, hey, we didn't even, we, at the beginning of the season, we're not allowed to go to a bowl game. He's still pissed. <laughs> he is still upset at Ray Anderson and Dr. Crow for not preparing him for that and throwing that curveball at him. Uh, right now it's time for Steve McCollum. The main event's coming up from 8 to 10 today, and he'll be with Dale Hellestray. And, uh, Steve, good morning. How is, uh, how's life? What was you, what'd you do this weekend? Uh, sat around watching football. Oh, good. Yeah, so not, nothing too shabby. Did you, uh, did you do any fake punts with friends? So, you, the, the thing I think you're missing on that fake punt is that uh, Clayton Toon's throwing that. Uh, he doesn't even look around, you know, to, to see what's going on. So you have an inexperienced quarterback in there. Bad play call. Didn't fool anybody. Uh, just a disaster altogether to have Toon in there. Just a joke. Oh, that's why I hated the call. Yeah. Absolutely. I don't know what I missed. I hated the call all around. Well, I know, but you didn't say Toon was the guy in there. Because Toon's not going to go through his progressions. Well, I said I said the backup quarterback. You yeah. try to sneak in the backup quarterback. Yeah, no. You're right. I didn't say Toon's name. My favorite part on that was I wasn't really paying attention when that play happened. They got in punt formation. And then I just hear the announcer, right, go, and they're going to fake it. And I was like, <laughs> wait, what? And I was like, if, if the announcer's calling it out and then you don't snap it for another 10 seconds, yeah. you got a problem. Yeah, that's that's the thing. I, I don't like 
the decision, why fake it there with five minutes to go when everybody knows this is a great time to, or not a great time, this is the time that bad teams fake it. So you didn't get away with that. Then it took so long after you got yeah. into your new formation to actually call it. Then you should have been able to see that. And I mean the coach. I don't care about the backup quarterback. The coach should have been able oh, to see. They got this thing covered. So fine. We tried it. It didn't work. Call timeout. Go ahead and punt or bring the offense. I, I don't care what you do. But the, the, the amount of fa- – it wasn't like one failure. The amount no, the of different was. failures yeah. you had to go through to even get to the final result. But do you – but do you fault them? They're trying to find a way to win a football game for once. Uh, did it go horribly wrong? Absolutely. But, hey, they were being aggressive. Uh, I don't see – to me, being aggressive would have been do better on third down to eat up a couple yards and then go for it on fourth and five. I think you've got a better chance of making the first down yeah. with your offense on the field at fourth and five than your backup quarterback throwing a five-yard out on fourth and nine. And running the punter to the no- to the north end of the <laughs> – formation because that's good yeah because you're gonna throw to the punter right there yeah, oh exactly. you got us fooled <laughs> exactly no it was just an all-around uh mistake but look i'd rather them make the mistake now and learn from it as opposed to you know next year when oh, they're actually yeah. getting better you oh know? yeah Oh, listen, the, the, I still think these are the two right people with Kenny Dillingham and Jonathan Gannon. Yeah, absolutely. And, I, and, and I, you can't fix in one year just how bad of a job Steve Kime, Ray Anderson, and Herm Edwards did. You can't fix it in a year, so it's going to take a while. And yeah. I, 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 that's why I'm so protective, of, at least in my opinions, of Gannon and, and Kenny Dillingham. Yeah, but at uh, some point, it's their problem, not the previous year. I regimes. agree, but that's like year two. That's like year no, three because you no, can't fix it. Dillingham, look, Ray Anderson uh, and uh, Herm Edwards and whatever – are not responsible for the injuries to this offensive line to where Kenny Dillingham can't kick a field goal. That has nothing to do with the but previous the, regime. But the depth. It has to do with the injuries that have occurred on this team. Yes. Uh, which but is you Kenny don't Dillingham's have a second problem. string. You don't have the depth because of how bad Herm Edwards and Ray Anderson destroyed this thing. Okay. Last I saw, they had enough guys to start the season. The injuries are the problem. Well, it depends on what you mean by start the season. If they start the season with me, does that mean they have enough guys to start the season? I mean, you don't have field, Division One players. To block for field goals, though? You're acting like they need to be all pros. You yes. get your fat butt in there, you stand there on the end, and you block the guy in front of you. It's they if you have they division don't have them th- because they're injured. If you have division three players as your backups, when the other team the- has division one players, guess what? Division three players get whipped by division okay, one players. But you're missing the point. They don't even have division three backup guys. Everybody is injured. I know. That has nothing to do with the coaching staff has nothing to do with the previous regime. It has to do with the current cat coaching staff has an injury problem, whether it be strength and conditioning or, or whatever you want to blame it on. But it would be one thing if they had a Division three or Division four guy in there blocking and he blew the kick. They have nobody. It's because of the injuries because they had those guys and now they have nobody. So it's a different type of a scenario there for him. Uh, and then the other thing is, is look, <clears throat> I get it. You know, you're, you're trying to, you know... It, to blame that to me is ridiculous because, look, your offense is stale. Your offense is terrible. It has not gotten better since Kenny Dillingham started calling plays. It's the continual offense of conservative offense, which that might be a product of their players and whatnot. Yes. Uh, but that's the bigger problem with this team is the stale offense. Kenny Dillingham was supposed to come in and save us with all these play goals. Where is it at? 
because if you can't imagine how easy it is to play defense if the defense comes in knowing no, I, I get it. they can't protect for longer than three seconds. Yeah, that eliminates you know eighty percent of your playbook. So therefore, when you have this weekend playing uh, a roster, you're not going to be able to have a full playbook. It's the second week in a row that I've noticed where they were throwing favoring the left side of the field the whole drive. Last week they decided to look right finally, and they got a touchdown. This week they decided to look right finally, and that's a pick six, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, telegraph it to, to that guy. It's a stale offense, man. Uh, you, that's fine. You can say whatever you want. It's a stale, predictive offense being play called right now. And you can blame that on the players all you want and the lack of depth, uh, but you got to mix it up. But when, why, when I'm why noticing mix it, at home it up or if you don't? Stands, like if a guy's not open on the right side, why would you throw it to the right uh, side? Uh, he is open. Uh, and, uh, he is not, the, Steve. The last I'm watching game, the film with the coaches. At the last They're home, not open. Okay. The last home game, that whole drive down, that whole last drive where they got the touchdown on the right side, that guy was open on the right. Yes. Of the whole drive. Yes. I was I sitting there watching it. I, I was yelling from the stands. I agree with Yesterday, you. Yesterday, the guy on the right, on that play, uh, just a terrible throw. Uh, but he was open on that right side. They favor that left on side the, down the field. On the pick field. six? Uh, yes. Yeah, I, I, they, I they favor the ball. left side as they drive down the field. It's pay- if I could see it sitting at home and I could see it at the stadium, I guarantee you Washington's defense is seeing it. Yes. You know what I mean? I do agree with that. The catch is people, for the most part, are not open over there. And so why even why even mess with? And then I was really upset at O'Mary. Uh, that, <laughs> right. they, they had a lot of one on one matchups, yeah. and you've. I mean, I'm not saying that that kid is. You know, it wasn't like he's the greatest recruit of all time. But at some point, young man, you're six foot four. You're you've been given the chance of a lifetime. You yeah. got to make a play. Yeah, it, it seems to me uh, ASU has multiple problems. Obviously, oh, but yeah. uh, right their quarterback that. when he puts the ball where he's supposed to, the receivers are dropping it. Uh, or they're overthrowing them and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, I saw somebody over the weekend go, Rashada wouldn't be in this – ah, Rashada would be in the same boat. Yeah, we saw it at the start of the season. So. Well, Rashada's just different. He's the athletic genius but not the uh, mental yeah. genius and yet. Uh, but I, but he's not a dumb kid, so I no. think he's going to get it eventually. Borges, uh, Borges still has a leg problem, by the way. Do you see him limping around yeah, a, a lot? A and then he took that big hit. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and also, uh, God. I agree with that. I cannot wait – Till this season ends and every Pac-12 uh, referee gets fired. This is a <laughs> joke of a refereeing division. Steve McCollum coming up 8 to 10 this morning with Dale Hellestray. And then today, no uh, Izzy on sports, Izzy on vacation this week, but you can always watch uh, Isaiah Jackson Jr. on iOS on demand. And... For those of you that don't uh, haven't been paying attention, this is the final week where you're. I think it, yeah, this is the final week where you're going to be able to watch on Doug Franz unplugged on demand for free without the special code. So if you want the special code, then this is the week to uh, to get it. Just email me Doug at DougFranzUnplugged.com. I'll give you the special code Doug at DougFranzUnplugged.com. And that special code then allows you to continue watching On Demand for free. And the reason why that was really important to me is when we made this journey together, you were with me for so long as a member of the Unplugged Army, just listening to me doing stuff in the middle of the night in my, in my wife's office, that I told you, hey, we're going to come to this WTSM TV. I like what they're trying to build here. We're going to do this. And you're going to pay money to watch me live, but you're going to be able to 
watch the podcast for free on demand afterwards. Well, that's going to change. And I, I admit, I didn't like that that's going to change. And CEO Chris accepted that and said, I'll tell you what. We'll give you, a, you the Unplugged Army a free code to be able to watch it on demand for free, but only to people that want it. And then after that, now people need to pay to watch it on demand because as we keep growing with new shows like the Organic Football Show, with Hanging with Coop, and uh, more ideas that are coming along the way, we need to hire more producers, we need more money, and I don't mind telling you that. That's what it is. But I kind of feel like I owe you. You came with me. So that's the good compromise. You want to watch it for free on demand, email me, Doug, at DougFranzUnplugged.com, and I'll give you the free code to be able to do that. Uh, versus Vegas today. Uh, I, I love this. Uh, my Bobcats are the reason why I was a loser. Now, I went 2-2, two and two, but the juice wasn't in my favor. I took the Rangers on the money line against Houston, but that was for fri- that was for um, Friday's game, not for game six, in which the Rangers actually won. So Houston won 5-4, I lose. I said my Bobcats coming off of a terrible loss to Northern Illinois would come back well against Western Michigan. They won, but they didn't come close to covering, so I missed that one. The two games I got right, I kind of got a little lucky. I thought Michigan State would contribute somehow. I took Michigan at Michigan State over 46 and a half because I thought Michigan would kill them. But I thought Michigan State would score. I got the game right. Michigan won 49 to nothing. Thanks, Jim Harbaugh. (laughs) Whatever your secret scout discovered going to Michigan State games, thanks, Jim Harbaugh. Boy, did I need that. 49 Wolverine points carried me to a victory, so I got the over. And then I thought Green Bay and Denver are a disaster. I thought there's no way those two teams could score 45 points combined. They didn't. Denver won 19-17 over Green Bay, so I got that game right, finished 2-2 two and two on the day. Today we got two uh, LCS games, Game 6 and LCS, Game 7 ALCS. I, I don't want to touch either of those games. With the road team winning every game, it seems like you'd bet on the Rangers. I bet Max Scherzer's going to be a lot better than he was, but it's still only his second outing. I would lean to Rangers, but Rangers plus one and a half. The juice isn't that great, so I'm not touching that. I'm pretty confident the Phillies win today, but I don't want blood money, so I'm not going to bet on it. So I'm not touching Diamondbacks Phillies. San Francisco at Minnesota is the Monday night game. Minnesota's been struggling. They've got to get something done. You got the injury bug hitting Debo Samuel, Christian McCaffrey. Guys are going to be playing hurt today for San Francisco. But I still like, since the 49ers right now are below a touchdown favorite, I'm going to go with that. I'm going to take San Francisco minus the six and a half on the road. But um, this is a tough one. I, I would go... I would go with a lower unit on this one. I didn't see a lot of things I liked today. So I'm going to take San Francisco minus the six and a half. I'll go a full unit, but um, I will not be bragging if I get this one right because I, I know that it was kind of risky. That does it for today's version of Doug Franz Unplugged presented by Whirlwind Golf Club at Wild Horse Pass. Go to Whirlwind, go to unplugged at whirlwind.com, unplugged at whirlwind.com. 
Thank you, Jeff Weir Production. Sign up for the Whirlwind Plus plan. It is a fantastic way to save hundreds of dollars. If you're a snowbird, it's only $34 a month. If you are someone that plays reasonably regularly, spend the $2.99 a year, one-time fee, and here's all that you get on that one-time fee. You get the lowest rate that day of golf. So sometimes golf at Whirlwind costs $200 a round. You're going to be getting it for much cheaper. Plus, you get 15% off Civlik, which is the 19th hole, 15% off the Pro Shop, and you're doing this right before Christmas, so you can use that 15%. I guarantee you, in the savings alone, you're going to pay for it before the end of the year. And you've got all next year, oh my gosh, well, the remaining nine months if you jump on it now, it is so worth it. Unplugged at whirlwind.com and ask about becoming a Whirlwind Plus member. The best sandwich in all of Arizona is the National Hot Chicken Sandwich. The best breakfast burrito that you'll ever have in your life is at Burrito Express, seven locations across the east side. And if anything is going on with your heating, cooling, plumbing, or electrical systems, do me a favor and call Parker and Tubbs. 602-2-REPAIR. That's 602, the number two, then R-E-P-A-I-R for Parker and Sons. And it's such a good family thing that we've got going on here with Doug Franz Unplugged. I know that Sweet Lou, the general manager of Whirlwind Golf Club, had some air conditioning issues at his house. And because of Doug Franz Unplugged, he called Parker and Sons and told me he was thrilled. That, that's the kind of thing that, you know, gets me excited. And then Mikey of uh, Bell's National Kitchen eating lunch with me at a different bar to try to talk to them about joining in the Unplugged Army. Things like that. It's a great group. So thanks for being a part of it. And the official sports bar of Doug Franz Unplugged is Rosati's on the east side, but only the one at Ray and McQueen. Had a wonderful show, even though I was terrible. <laughs> Good job, Jeff Weir Production. <laughs> Thanks for watching or listening to the podcast. The main event with Steve McCullum and Dale Hellestray is coming up next from 8 to 10. I'll see you tomorrow.